there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Open the Word of God with me to the book of Daniel. Now we're preaching this entire meeting from this one book of the Bible. And it is an amazing book. And we've come now in our time together to the second chapter. And if you're wondering, I'm not preaching the whole book between now and tomorrow night, so you can relax, all right? We've come to Daniel chapter 2, and it is an amazing story. It is a story of one of the dreams given to one of the kings in this book that was interpreted by Daniel. This dream is unique for many reasons. One, uh, our generation, our age is in this dream. See, some of you think when you pick up this book, we're going so far back in time, you've got to dust all the cobwebs off and you say, well, this is thousands of years ago. But the actual dream that Nebuchadnezzar has is a dream of the time we are living in called the time of the Gentiles. How many Gentiles are here tonight? Would you raise your hand? If you're not a Jew, that's you, all right? So it affects us. But it even affects Israel because the times of the Gentiles is simply a reference to a time period. And it's the time period that we live in. I'm not, it's not my purpose to get into all that tonight, but you're in this chapter. At least your lifetime falls within this dream. Another interesting thing about this dream is that Nebuchadnezzar refused to tell the wise men what the dream was. He not only wanted the interpretation, he said, if you really know what you're talking about, you'll know what the dream is. Can you imagine a fellow saying, tell me what I dreamed about last night and then tell me what it means. How many of you dream? I'm just curious. You have dreams. Now, how many of you have strange dreams? Would you raise your hand? I have some of those sometimes. How many of you have dreams you can't remember? That's the worst. Isn't that the worst? And you think there's something there you really ought to know, something you ought to remember, but it's locked away somewhere in your subconscious. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar couldn't think of what it was or if he remembered everything about it but didn't know what it meant. But regardless, he said, tell me the dream, tell me what it means. And if you can't, I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> Sounds like a really nice fellow, doesn't it? And so the wise men are about to die. Now remember, Daniel falls in that category. So... Pick up the story, look at Daniel chapter number 2 and verse number 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, and I wish I could read this with the same intensity they must have said it with, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler, that asks such things that any magician or astrologer or Chaldean, and it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show show it before the king, and notice this, except the gods, notice they didn't acknowledge one true and living God, they used the plural and they used the lowercase g here, so it's a reference to the many gods that they believed existed, except the gods, watch this, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. That's a fascinating statement to me. They said somewhere out there, above the earth, beyond us, 
There's a God who doesn't dwell with flesh, and he probably has the answer. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, I know who that God is. Watch this. He not only doesn't dwell with flesh, he actually became flesh without ever ceasing to be God. Isn't that wonderful? God himself wants man to know him. And the God who gave the dream wants to be revealed. Not just the dream, but the God. Look at verse 12. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Would you pause just a moment? What do you do when everything falls apart? Did you know there's a world of difference between reacting and responding? We were talking about this over lunch today. My dad taught me this as a very young man. He said, son, remember this. He said, when you react, it usually is fleshly. But when you respond with the help and aid of the Holy Spirit, now you can be a spiritual man because the Lord's helping you to respond. May I just tell you, most people live very reactionary lives. We live in a very reactionary world. And most of that is just flesh answering to flesh. And I'll remind you that in our flesh dwells no good thing. We don't need what we can say or what we can think or what we can do. We need what God alone can do. Daniel was a spiritual man. So when Daniel responded and he answered, he answered with counsel and wisdom came from God. To Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which has gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, he answered and said, Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. And then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, And Azariah, his companions. And may I just point something out to you. Notice that it's not their new Babylonish pagan names that Daniel uses and that the Holy Spirit chooses to use here. I don't know why this is. We call Daniel, Daniel, not Belshazzar, but we call the three Hebrew children Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is that right? And yet, those were their pagan names. These are their God-given names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Now watch verse 18, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I'm speaking tonight on this subject, learning to pray in Babylon. Did you know you don't learn to pray when all is going well? (laughs) That's not really where you learn to pray. Oh, you can sit in class and hear a guy like me get up and give a lecture on prayer. And you can even take good notes. But that's not where you learn to pray. Did you know you don't learn to pray by hearing somebody talk about praying? You learn to pray by praying. And most of the time, you don't learn to pray when everything's going well. You learn to pray when things are not going well. Excuse me. You learn to pray in Babylon. The disciples said to their master, Lord, teach us to pray. And you remember, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. On, 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 it's a wonderful prayer. But may I suggest to you that actually where they learned to pray was in the middle of the night when a storm almost turned their vessel over. And all they could do was say, Lord, help us. 
You know where Peter learned to pray? He learned to pray walking on the water when he thought he was going to drown. And he said, Lord, help. At that moment, he learned the very essence of prayer. Do you know where the first church learned to pray? They learned to pray in the context of persecution. Do you know where Jonah learned to pray? He learned to pray in the belly of a whale. Do you know where Hezekiah, the king, that good king, learned to pray? He learned to pray on his deathbed when God said, Set your house in order, for you're going to die and not live. I tell you, you learn to pray, friends, when you get to Babylon. When you get in situations that you can't control and circumstances that you can't understand, when you're dealing with unreasonable people and you're dealing with wickedness all around you and you're fighting the flesh in your own heart, it is then that you truly learn to seek the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight why I believe God's blessing and hand was on Daniel. It was because he was a man of prayer. You see, when you come to the book of Daniel, everybody says, now this, friend, this is a book of prophecy. And it is a book of prophecy. It's one of what is referred to here as the, the major prophets. And I'm glad it is referred to as a book of prophecy because it's full of prophecy. But I want to submit to you tonight, Daniel is not just a book of prophecy. It's a book of prayer. And by the way, look up here just a second. See this book right here? This book is not just a book of history and a book of instruction. You know what it is? It is, at its best, a book of prayer. What is God trying to do through His Word? He's always trying to bring us nearer to Himself into the presence of a holy God. Would you like to know God? Then you must learn to pray. Would you like to live in victory? Then you must learn to pray. Would you like to understand the Bible? Then you must learn to pray. Would you like to witness with boldness and power and God-given fruit? Then, my friend, you must learn to pray. Would you like to see God's hand on this church and a spiritual awakening in this community? Then I submit to you tonight on the authority of the Word of God, you must learn to pray. Daniel's greatest audience was not with King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's greatest audience was with the King of Heaven. And I want to tell you, the greatest appointment you ever have is not to hear a guy like me talk. The greatest appointment you ever have is to come boldly into the throne room of the Creator God of the universe. Think of this. The God who said light, and there was light, and it was very good, wants to listen to me speak. It's thought-provoking, isn't it? Do you know what I am? A peon. That's what I am. Let me, use, let me use a deep theological term. I'm a pipsqueak. That's what I really am. Do you know what you are? I hate to tell you this. You're a speck of dust on the page of human history. That's what you are. And yet... The creator God of the universe desired to hear your voice today, and I wonder, how much time did you spend today talking to God? We spend a lot of time talking to each other, don't we? We spend a lot of time listening to other people communicate with us, but that's not, not my question. How much time did you spend today talking to Him? We can come to meetings like this, and we, we feel pretty good because we sing our hymns, and we fellowship, and, and we hear a Bible message, and we go home, and we say, well, that was really nice. Yes, that was really nice. And yet, do you know that the least attended meeting of the average church is the prayer meeting? And if I had announced tonight, I'll, I'll not be speaking tonight. There'll be no message tonight. No, tonight, all we're going to do is get on our faces and talk to God. I wonder how many people would be here. And I wonder, in the last 24 hours, how much time we've spent in the presence of a holy God. Maybe the better question is, in the next 24 hours, how much time we've spent in the presence of a holy God. Because the greatest appointment you ever have and the greatest audience you will ever receive is an audience with the King of Heaven. And where do we learn it? We learned it in Babylon. And God knocks all the props out when you got nothing but God. It was Vance Havner that said, when Jesus is all you have, you find out he's all you need. And sometimes you hit rock bottom. You ever been to bottom? You know what you find out when you get to the bottom? The foundation's still there. 
When it all comes apart at the seams, you know what you find? You find that God's still where he's always been. He's on the throne of heaven, and he still has you in his hand. He still has every hair on your head numbered. He still knows you by name. He's got his eye on you, and his ear is open to your cry. What a mighty God we serve. Now look, was God in Babylon? Pondered a moment. Was God in Babylon? Pagan, Babylon, friends, God is everywhere. But here's the beautiful truth. From Babylon, the prayer wasn't going back to Jerusalem, 550 miles away across the Arabian Desert. Oh, no, praise God. It was going to a place that is not bound by geography. The prayer was going upward to the King of Heaven. And I say to you tonight, the greatest power any church has is not the power of your budget or your missions giving or your buildings or your gifts or your pastor's sermons. The greatest power any church has is the power of prayer. And it's a power every one of us must learn to tap into. You see, Daniel was in a powerful position. He was one of the wise men, but his power, let me not meddle too much here, but his power was not the power of politics. It was the power of prayer. Do we really think, do we really think we're going to make a difference in Babylon by, by dealing with Nebuchadnezzar? Let me tell you how to make a difference in Babylon. You get beyond Nebuchadnezzar to the God who sets up kings and deposes kings. And I tell you then, my friend, you'll see something done for the glory of God. See, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Let's do something. Would you do this? In verse number 10, would you circle this little phrase, not a man? <laughs> they, they were right. They said there's not a man that can do this. Not a man. That's right. And when you come down to verse number 11, look at the last phrase, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. All right, you're almost there. Not quite, but almost there. But after God answers the prayer, gives the dream and the interpretation, and he reveals it to Nebuchadnezzar, look, look at verse number 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that word, the secret? Did you know Jesus used to talk about the secret place? Can I, can I give you a wonderful truth tonight, church? God always shares his secrets in the secret place. Would you like to know God better? How many of you like to know God better? Would you like direction for your life? Do you need guidance for the decision that you're standing on the threshold of? Do you need help in a relationship? Let me tell you what you do. Get away from everybody else. Close the door and open the window like Daniel did three times a day toward heaven. And get in the presence of God. And in the secret place, God will tell you things. Notice, please, in the secret which the king demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But, oh, I like it, there is a God in heaven. And all God's people said, amen to that. By the way, do you still believe there's a God in heaven? I'm so sick of believers talking like unbelievers in the world we live in. I meet people everywhere I go that say, well, you know, preacher, it's a bad day. It's a bad day. Like that's a great revelation. You know what everybody's favorite verse is now? Everybody's favorite verse is, well, you know, preacher, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That's right. Read the next verse. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. When God said evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse, he never said that his power would wax less and less. Friend, there is still a God in heaven. And read the rest of it. There's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and make Make it known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. I love this. All through the book, you have all these kings having these dreams, and they can't understand it. You ever wonder why that was? You got Nebuchadnezzar, you got Belshazzar, you got Darius. 
What's up with all these kings having dreams and not knowing what they mean? Can I tell you the bottom line? God was trying to tell the most powerful people on earth, you don't know everything. Now, I tell you, it might be good if some of us were, were reminded again, we don't know everything either. Let me tell you who does know everything, the God who's in heaven. That's why Jeremiah 33, 3 is still in the Bible. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, don't miss the last phrase, which thou knowest not. You ever stop and think about how much you don't know? You ever think about how much God does know? And God said, look, come on in, come on in, come on in the secret place. If you get in here, and not in, not in that king's chamber, no, no, in the high king's chamber, if you get in the king's throne room, God will begin to show you everything you need. And where do you learn it? You learn to pray in Babylon. I believe the entire book is a book of prayer. Last night, we looked in chapter 1 at those 10 days. By the way, are you on your first day? You're taking the 10-day test? We looked at that 10 days. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't believe they just ate pulse for 10 days and drank water. Now, they did do that. Chapter 1 tells us that. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe Daniel, who was a praying man, prayed over that food every day. You know what I'm talking about? I think he not only gave thanks, I think Daniel was saying to the Lord, Now, Lord, we got 10 days here. And at the end of 10 days, we need you to show up. We need you to, to prove yourself. And by the way, God answered that prayer all through the book. You see that kind of prayer in chapter 6. We studied chapter 6 a little bit. You remember in chapter 6, he prayed three times a day. He opened his window towards heaven. That's when, they, that's when they tricked him and trapped him and threw him in the den of lions. Somebody said, you think he prayed in the den of lions? Well, I think most of us would certainly be praying in the den of lions. I'm going to tell you what I actually believe. I don't think he had to do a whole lot of praying in the den of lions. I think he went to sleep. <laughs> I think he went to sleep. I think he had a much more restful night than the king had that night. Remember, the king paced all night long. But look, friends, when you are a praying man, when you're a praying man, you can rest in the God who hears and answers prayer. Somebody says, you really think he rested that night? I do. And I'm going to tell you why. Watch this, please. You can sleep in the lion's den when you're praying in your bedroom. You want to know how to have God's peace on the hardest day of your life? Pray every day. Here's what we do. We wait till it all falls apart. Then we run to God like Mr. Fix-It, our spiritual 911. Say, oh, God, I really need you. Listen to me, friend. You better stay on praying ground every day of your life if you want to see the Lord move and work. Learn to pray in Babylon. In chapter number 9, we have this recorded prayer of Daniel. We looked at early on the Lord's day and God's response. Again, praying in Babylon. Let me show you one more. Go over to chapter 10. This is one we've not looked at yet. Look at chapter 10. This is an illustration of the spiritual warfare and the spiritual victory that comes through prayer. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. Daniel's been praying, seeking God, and behold, an angel touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Now watch this. If God had to put him up like this, that means he was on his face. I love this thought. Maybe if we got lower, we'd be lifted higher. God reached down and just lifted him up. You know what we do? We prance around like we got everything under control. What we really need to do is get our face down to the ground and say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but we need you. And I'm going to tell you, you start praying like that, God will show up. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 11. He said to me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright. 
For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Do you see God lifting him up? Oh, I love this beautiful picture. What an object lesson. God's lifting him up. Look, please. Sin and the world and the devil always stamps a man down and drives him lower. But God always lifts a man up. In prayer, you're lifted to the heights. You're lifted to the heavenlies. You're lifted to the holy place. Read on. Look at verse 12. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel. Oh, prayer drives out the fear. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, mark this phrase in your Bible, thy words were heard. And I am come for thy words. (laughs) He said, you started praying long ago about this, and I want you to know, on the first day you spoke to God, God heard your words. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but somebody in this room been praying for something, holding on to God in desperation and trying to believe the Lord, and you wonder if God's ever going to answer, if if your words are even getting past the ceiling. Listen to me, please. Your tears are kept in a bottle, and every word has come into the presence of a holy God. You keep on praying. God is the God who hears and answers prayers. Now watch this. Surely as God hears, Satan fights. Look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's a picture for Satan in this book, withstood me one in twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. There was a 21-day delay in the answer getting there. Did you know, I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical tonight, but did you know there's a world you can't see that's just as real as the world you do see? There's a, there's a spiritual realm that's just as real as the physical realm and more powerful, and there's spiritual battle going on all the time, and everything God ordains, Satan opposes, and every time God is at work, the devil's fighting, and all the hounds of hell get released to stop what God is trying to do in this world. You know where some of you are living right now? You're living in the 21 days. That's where you're living. You think God's not heard your prayer and nothing's going to happen. But I want you to know, your prayer has been heard before God. You keep praying in Babylon because God is still on his throne in heaven. With that in mind, go back with me to chapter 2 quickly. Let's walk through this. Let me give you some things about learning to pray in Babylon. These are truths in the Lord's school of prayer, which for the record, you never graduate from. You may learn, but you never graduate No, not till prayer becomes face-to-face communication someday do we graduate. Here are the truths. Number one, in verse 13, 14, and 15, would you write this down? Number one, we learn that every problem is a reason to pray. (laughs) Somebody said, well, I... I I try to set aside times to pray. That's good. You should have definite times to pray. Daniel did that three times a day. The psalmist said, evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. That's wonderful. But the life of prayer cannot be relegated to simply a few minutes that you set aside. Instead, everything in your life, watch please, everything that touches you helps you touch God. Everything you dealt with today. Every phone conversation should prompt a prayer. Talked to a man today on the phone. And then the conversation, I just felt led. I said to him, let's pray before we get off the phone. I wonder how many days I've missed that. I had another conversation with someone today. And when I hung up, the Holy Spirit just prompted me and said, pray for that man. Pray for his wife. I wonder how many days we've not lived enough in the spirit of prayer, praying without ceasing, to realize that every problem and every circumstance is a motivator to pray. It drives you to God. 
Do not let your circumstances and do not let somebody come between you and God. Let them drive you nearer to God. It was Abraham Lincoln that said, I've fallen on my knees many days under the realization that I had nowhere else to go. And sometimes you fall on your face because you can't go anywhere else. But listen, it's all right. God meets you there. He not only can hear you in Babylon, he will hear you in Babylon. You not only should pray there, if you will pray there, God will show up there. Number two, not only is it true that every problem is a reason to pray, but number two, learn the power of united prayer. For the record, we're going to do this in just a few moments, but look at verse number 17. Daniel went to his house. That's the place. Let me just stop for a moment and make an application. We should all begin at home. How many of you think the church house ought to be a place to pray? Amen to that? Let's go a little further. Your house ought to be a place to pray. It was Matthew Henry that said, wherever man pitches a tent, God should have an altar. I like that. Everywhere Abraham pitched a tent, he built an altar. Why was that? Because wherever you live ought to be a place of definite prayer. Jesus came into the temple that day and drove out the money changers. What did he say? My father's house is to be a house of what? Prayer. I've heard people preach that like it's the church house. I'm sorry. That's interpretationally incorrect. This, as nice a building as you have, this is not the temple of of the Holy Ghost. This is not the father's house. Guess where the father's house is now? Right here. You're looking at it. I'm looking at it. You're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are the Father's house. So let's get down where we live just a second. Not just should the church be a place of prayer and should your physical house be a place of prayer where you and your family live, but let me ask you a question. Look up here just a second. Is your house a house of prayer? Is this temple consumed with intercession and petition and supplication? Do you pray as natural as you breathe? We put on our prayer voices and have our little prayer routines and rituals. But I'm going to tell you what prayer really ought to be. It ought to just be communing with your father and communing with your friend as natural as I would talk to any other friend. Read the gospel records and you see Jesus talking to his disciples one minute and the next minute he just looks up to heaven and says, Father, thank you that you've heard me. And you say, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. He's having two conversations at the same time. That's what you call living in an attitude of prayer. That's why Spurgeon said, the habit of prayer is good, but the spirit of prayer is better. I wonder, do you have the spirit of prayer? Look at the verse again. Then Daniel went to his house. And watch here. Here's the power of united prayer. He made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. They weren't just his companions in living. They were his companions in praying. These were his prayer partners. May I ask you tonight, who's your prayer partner? I would say, for me, my wife is my dearest prayer partner. I'd recommend that to you. I think that's a good place to start because two people are going to be close. They ought to be one in spirit, and nobody's probably going to know you like the person you live with all the time. Sometimes that doesn't work perfectly. You may be a single. You may be someone that your spouse is no longer with you. So somebody says, well, what do you do? Let me tell you what you do. You find another godly man, godly woman that you can agree with together in prayer and hold accountable to one another, and you make that person your prayer partner. Listen, everybody needs somebody to pray with them and to pray for them, everybody. And I would remind you, that's what a church is about. 
And in this family, in this house of prayer, you have people that will pray with you and they will pray for you. And let me give you a little encouragement. You already have two prayer partners, whether you realize it or not. You've got one here and one there. The Holy Spirit prays for you with groanings which cannot be uttered. And Jesus ever liveth, ever liveth making intercession for us. Think about this. You want to talk about a prayer chain. You've got the two best prayers in eternity praying for you at this moment. The Holy Spirit is praying. Jesus is praying. And we come to a prayer meeting that's already in progress. I am convinced that if we're ever going to see great things done for the glory of God in Babylon, some of God's people got to get back on praying ground with each other. We got to lay aside our bickering and our division and our strife and our contention, and we got to be clean with God and we got to be right with each other so we can pray together. Do you got the kind of friends you can't pray with and for? You got the wrong kind of friends, or you are the wrong kind of friend, one of the two. In Acts chapter number 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came in great power, the thing that marked it was they were all of one mind and one accord in prayer. That's the power of united prayer. And you see it praying in Babylon. Here's the third principle. Would you write it down? We not only learn that every problem is a reason to pray and the power of united prayer, but number three, we learn the priority of all true prayer. You may have a prayer list with lots of things and lots of names on it. That's all right. But let me tell you the number one thing, the, the greatest priority you ought to be praying about. If I ask you right now, what did Daniel pray for? Now you would say, he prayed that God would give him the dream and the interpretation. It makes sense, right? He prayed for the secret. Oh, God, give me the secret. That's what he prayed for. And for the record, I think when we pray, we should pray specifically. Don't, don't pray this way, Lord bless all the missionaries. No, pick one of them back there. Pick the trail family that you support. They're leaving tomorrow for their field. Tomorrow, they get on a plane, go halfway around the world. Let's pray. Oh, God, work in their lives. Help Stephen and help Jocelyn. And help those little girls and give them courage and give them strength. Pray specifically. Don't just pray, Lord, save people. Get some soul on your heart and pray that sinner to the Lord Jesus. Don't just pray for your church in general. Pray for people specifically. Pray specifically. But I would argue that his prayer priority was not the secret. Let's look at his prayer. Look at verse 18. He says to Hananiah, Mishael, that's right. Hey, fellas, I need you to help me. We got to pray together. What are we going to pray for, Daniel? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 18. That they would desire, what's it say, church? Whew. Isn't that what we need? If I ask you tonight, what do you need? You might give me a long list. Let me tell you what you need. You just need fresh mercy. If you ask me, Brother Scott, what can we help you pray for? I, I'd give you some things, some needs, and say, help me pray about this. But I'm going to tell you what I really need. I just need fresh mercy. It, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God that endureth forever? I would tell you, the great need of every man, every woman, every family in this room is one thing. We need fresh mercy. And by the way, when we get on our faces to pray in a little bit, you may have somebody or something on your heart, but it might be good if we just started by saying, Lord, we need your supply of mercy because we know if we have mercy and they have mercy, we'll have everything that we need. You see, mercy encompasses who God is. Real prayer is not getting something from God, friends. It's getting God. And when you get God, you get everything else that you need. And the priority of true prayer is this, Lord. We just need you. You know what may be our problem? Maybe our problem is we've been seeking revival and we should be seeking God. 
We've been seeking a, an experience. We've been seeking an awakening. Maybe if we sought God's face and God's holy presence, then the Lord would bring in his tidal wave everything else that we need. The priority of prayer is this. We need God's mercy. And then number four, what else do you learn praying in Babylon? Number four, you learn the principle of listening. Listening? I, I thought we were talking about praying. Oh, don't you understand that when you really get to deep prayer, you don't do all the talking. See, prayer is a two-way communication with God. Look at verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Watch this. He prayed and went to bed. <laughs> That's right. That's faith right there. He, he spread it out before the Lord. He, he gave his petition to God. And then he said, now, Lord, I'm going to leave this with you. And I imagine Daniel crawling in bed that night, looking up, saying, Lord, I'm just waiting. I'm listening in the quiet place. Did you know God speaks in quiet places? Part of our problem is we got too much noise in our world. We're so everlasting busy and so much media on all the time. We're distracted from the presence of God. Maybe we're afraid what God will say if we get quiet. See, God likes to speak in still, small voices. What's he going to have to do to get our attention? Here's Daniel still before the Lord. I'm thinking of the psalmist who communed with God upon his bed and was still in the presence of the Lord. That's exactly what Daniel did. And I think there's a, there's a literal and there's a figurative application here in the night seasons. You know, God speaks in night seasons. I found that if I make my last thoughts at night and my first thoughts in the morning about the Lord, that somehow God helps me all through the day, like bookends on the day. It's wonderful. And even keeps my heart and mind through the night. We used to have a teacher, Frank Sells, that taught us for years at the college. And Dr. Sells said, I'd never heard anybody say this before. He said when he went to bed at night, he would get down on his knees and he would say, Now, Lord, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And you give your beloved sleep, and I want to thank you for giving me sleep tonight. And Lord, this mind is yours. And you know, sometimes I, on my bed, I have a thought I shouldn't have, or I'll get afraid of something. So Lord, I'd like to give you my mind tonight so that even when I go to sleep, my dreams are under your control. I want you to take control of even my subconscious mind. I'd never heard anybody say that in my life, but I thought so much about that. Don't you know that God is the God of the day, is the God of the night hours, and he wants to speak to you in the still and the quiet of the night? And sometimes God will wake you up in the middle of the night and you wonder why. Maybe God wants to meet with you there. And look, not just physically, but some of you right now are living through the night seasons. You're struggling. You're battling the devil. You're in the battle of your life, for your family, your health. Trying to figure out how you're going to live and make it through another day. I'll tell you how you're going to live. You're going to learn what it means to pray living in Babylon. You're going to recognize that God is where he has always been and learn the principle of listening to God. I'll give you one more and I'll be done. Look at number five, end of verse 19. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. <laughs> you know, we talk so much about God blessing us and we say we want the blessing, we want the blessing. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you blessed him? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. How many of you want the Lord's joy? Raise your hand big and high. You want the Lord's joy? All right, let's turn it around. Let me ask you a question. Did you bring him any joy today? 
Did anything in your life or labor today make God smile? Do you think at any point today the Lord said, I like that? Here's the principle. Would you write it down? Number five, in Babylon we learn to praise God in prayer. We learn that it's not all about asking. It's it's not really about getting something from God. Rather, it's about giving glory to God. Prayer brings you into praise. By the way, let me tell you what praise will do. It will bring in a deeper prayer. Because <laughs> when you start worshiping God, there's such a liberty to talk to God. You can talk to Him about anything. It's wonderful. And God will bring things to your mind you need to pray about that you had not even thought about yet. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts of praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. What a good God we have. And thanksgiving ought not be a day. It ought to be the way we live our life every day. And where do you learn it? In Babylon? Can I remind you of something? The circumstances may be bad, but our God is always good. You know the danger of listening to conservative news? Listen to me. You know the danger of listening to conservative news all the time? After a while, you start thinking about how bad everything is, you forget how good your God is. So you start fussing and talking about the darkness out there, and you forget the light that lives in here. I remind you, in Babylon, God is good even there. And he begins to praise the Lord. Could I show you something interesting? He begins to praise the Lord to the Lord first. Look at verse 20. Let's just read it. Look at verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. When he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. What's he saying? He's saying, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar, you're nothing compared to my God. God gave you that chair and he can remove you from that chair. Read on. He gave the wisdom and the wise. The knowledge to them that no understanding. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not anything either. Daniel, you're not anything either. God gave you this wisdom and God can take it away. Look at verse 22. He revealeth the deep and secret things. I love this. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Remember, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Some of you are walking through dark days right now. Can I remind you of something? God knows everything that's in the darkness. And he not only knows what's in the darkness, he brings light into the darkness because he is light. Look at verse 23. I thank thee. Circle those three words. Over the next few days, make this part of your prayer. I thank thee. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. I've marked in my Bible in verse 18, desire mercies. And in verse 23, what we desired of thee. Did you know you can tell a lot about what you desire by what you pray for? You want to know what's in your heart? You want to know what's important to you? Listen to yourself pray. Your prayers tell on you. May I ask you, what do you desire tonight? If God said you could have anything you want, what would you have? And Daniel said, I need mercy, Lord. I need mercy, Lord. And I wonder tonight, do you need mercy? And call out to God in prayer. And while you're there, give Him praise and glory for the mercy He's already shown. You know what it'll do? It'll increase your faith to believe Him for much more and pray for much more. But then don't miss this. Do you see the progression here? In verse 20, He praises God to God. 
In verse 28, he praises God to the king. See, a life of prayer becomes a life of witnessing. A life of praise becomes a life of witnessing. Did you know I could stand up here tonight and preach a whole sermon and try to get you all worked up about witnessing, tell you how bad it is, the world's going to hell, everybody needs Jesus, and get you stirred up about it? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And I preach that way. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe if we got on praying ground, we'd get on witnessing ground too. Because when you get in the presence of a holy God, you don't want to just enjoy Him. You want everybody else to know Him as well. As a matter of fact, in its simplest form, you want to know what witnessing is? It's praising God to somebody else. Don't just quote Bible verses and recite something like a religious robot. Tell them how good your God is. Tell them how wonderful Jesus has been here. Tell them an answer to prayer today. Don't let your testimony be past tense. Let it be a present tense praise of a present tense God. Praise the Lord to others. And here's the spiritual chain reaction that comes in motion. Come over to verse 47 with me very quickly, and I'm done. Look at verse 47. Nebuchadnezzar speaks up. Wonder what he's going to say. Verse 47, the king answered unto Daniel and said of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods. Don't you like that? He, he recognizes who the true and living God is. He's a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Watch, the, watch this, please. Watch this, please. Daniel seeks God in prayer. God gives the blessing. Daniel blesses the Lord to the Lord. Then Daniel blesses the Lord to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now King Nebuchadnezzar is blessing the Lord for himself. Let me tell you what God wants to do. He wants to take your Babylon and make it not a dead end, but a doorway. See, sin and the Satan always lead to a dead end. Look, you hit a wall, it's over. But with God, oh no, he's a God of new beginnings. It's a doorway into everything else God has for you. It is not after Babylon that God wants to work. It is while you are in Babylon. It's not after the battle. It's in the battle. It's not after the storm. It's in the storm. If you and I will learn to pray in Babylon. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes and sit very quietly with me for a moment. It's one thing for me to preach this. It's one thing for you to hear it. And it's quite another for all of us to apply it. I'm not going to ask you to apply when you get home tonight. Hope you will. I'm going to ask you to apply it in this room tonight. Let's begin here. Our heads are bowed. No one's looking. How many of you know you're saved and that is settled? Would you lift your hand toward heaven right now as a testimony? You say, I know it, preacher. With your hand raised to the God of heaven, would you thank him? When was the last time you just said to him, I love you? Thank you for not letting me go to hell. Thank you for saving me. Precious Jesus, what a Savior. Bless His holy name. There's no name like the name of Jesus. You may lower your hands. Is there someone among us tonight that would say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know that I can really pray about other things and other people because I'm not sure that I've really repented of my sin and by faith called on the Lord 
and been saved, but I need that, pray for me. Would you lift your hand with mine? You say, you're talking to me. God's talking to me now. I need to be saved, and I'm not sure, but pray for me. Anyone at all, pray for me. And best I can tell, I'm speaking to Christians. So I want to speak to as Christians. Let's judge ourselves. I'm not asking you to judge your neighbor. And I can't judge you. Judge yourself. How many of God's children here tonight would say, Preacher, my prayer life is woefully lacking. It's so far away from the kind of life of prayer Daniel had, but I know that's what I need, and it is what I want. I want God to teach me to pray again as never before. Preacher, I want that. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand toward heaven right now? You say, I really need some help with my prayer life. God bless you, dear ones. Then right now, just lower your hand right where you are. Would you ask God to forgive you first? See, prayerlessness is sin. Call it sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Him that knoweth to do good and do that not to him, it is sin. Say to the Lord, Lord, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you and your goodness. And not communing with you and praying. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I want a new beginning. I really do. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's go a step further. How many people in this room tonight would say, Preacher, I'm living in Babylon? (laughs) Now, culturally, we all are because we're living in a wicked world. We get that. So I'm, I'm taking that for granted, but I'm, I'm, I'm making this personal now to you. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm dealing with some difficult situations in my life or my family or my job, in my school, in my neighborhood, in my body. I'm dealing with some things. I've got some battles and burdens, and I need God right now, and I need to be on praying ground right now. Preacher, I, I'm living in Babylon, but I don't want to just live there. I want to learn to pray there. That's me. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand toward heaven right now? God bless you people. Many of you, God bless you. Would you tell the Lord what that is right now? He already knows, but it'd be good for you to say it. Just say it to him right now. Call it by name. Agree with him. Bring your Babylon. I know it seems big. But it's little compared to your great God. Bring your Babylon into heaven right now. Into the throne room of heaven. Bring yourself, that circumstance, that need, that person. Before a great and mighty God. Would you claim his promise? He's listening right now. He'll answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. Claim that right now. Make it your own. Say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that. And I believe you're going to answer my prayer. The answer to your prayer may not be that Babylon changes. The answer to your prayer may be that God teaches you how to live there in victory and power. That's what he did for Daniel. Oh, Lord, deliver us from defeated lives. Help us now.
If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.